Hello and welcome to Newsnight. I am Ladi Akiridu Luale. Thanks for being with us today. Nigeria has just celebrated Democracy Day, which falls on June 12 every year. What is the state of the country's democracy today, some 23 years after civil rule returned? Can a society which is said not to prize justice be surprised by the various security challenges Nigeria now faces? How about its leadership recruitment process, especially in an almost year-long season of campaigns and elections? For answers to this and more, Newsnight talks to the Catholic Bishop of Sokoto Diocese, Dr. Matthew Hassan Kuka. Lord Bishop, thank you for this opportunity once again. It's good to see you and in such good health after we had uh, the scare of COVID. Well, thank God we survived it. How only should I say, yeah, we're surviving it. <laughs> when you talk about you've been privileged and Nigeria has been good to you and so on, um, it of course brings to mind some of the roles and some of the frustrations that have come uh, from these roles. Uh, I, let me not go too far back. Let me, one of the seminal moments, and I use that word myself, was the Oputa panel. It had never happened before in the country. When that panel was set up and uh, people were asked to come, a lot of people who had grievances dating back 50 years in some instances came to appear. Some of them with rumpled, you know, old evidence, but nevertheless what they thought would help. And the panel went all over the country. You were one of its leading lights. You went over all over the country at the time. And you produced a report. And I remember when last, one of the previous occasions when I spoke to you, I asked the question, what happened to the Oputa panel report? Because a lot of motion went on, but at the end of the day, very little action did we see at the end of the day. As someone who was involved and knew what was produced, did you think that our lack of action on that document, on that process, as a country and as a society, was also a seminal moment in the decision as to whether we were going forward or we were going backwards. Nigerians very foolishly, let me say, think that things self-activate or self-propel themselves. There has to be what you call a primary mover. That is, what moves, how did you get here? You had to have set out from your house to start a journey. You got into a car, you got into a plane, and so on. So, and I hear Nigerians saying rather foolishly, ah, you know, this election that is coming, we must get it right. I say, what do you mean getting it right? Okay, yeah, we must make sure we vote for the right candidate. Is there anything like the right candidate? Is there anything like a right woman to marry or a right husband to marry? Many of these things come as a result of a lot of work. Nigerians think that if we get it right, we've elected. So what do you mean by getting it right? Is it that... We, we had elections, no violence, nothing. Well, the Germans got it right when Hitler became chancellor. They got it right. So, and there is no correlation between electoral outcomes and the things that follow. So when we finished the Puta panel, it had all the ingredients that scholars and activists needed to begin a little bit of robust conversation. But let me tell you, when I finished, I was to go to NIPS. And then again, my friend, Dr. Faye, we were just chatting. And he said to me, 
I, he said, so now you're finished your Twitter panel. What next? I said, no, I've just gotten a, a chance. I'm going to go to NIPS. Because when I went to President Obasanjo, I said, look, I want to go to NIPS. No, I called General Garba, who was in China, was a good friend of mine. He said, no, I'm not the one responsible for recruitment. It's the president. So I went to President Obasanjo. He said, you want to go to NIPS? I said, yeah. To do what? I said, no, to pursue the president. No, no, no. If you want me to give you the center to run, I'll give you. But you can't go there as a student. I said, no, I want to go there as a student. He said, no. Then finally, he said, okay, he's under the vice president. So I went to Elijah Atiku. He said that he was very excited, very delighted. And uh, Atiku, you know, process made them take me. But in between this, I met Dr. Fayemi. I happened to be in London or so. We cut off. He said, what about I said very proudly, I'm going to go to NIPS. He said, NIPS? I said, yes. He said, what are you going to do in NIPS? Come to Oxford. Come and take a fellowship in Oxford. I said, whom do I? I don't know anybody in Oxford. I hope blessed memories in Oxford, but how do you? He said, no. Anyway, it's a long story, but Oxford made me an offer. So I was like, I can't go to Oxford any day, but I can go to NIPS any day I want. When I got to Oxford, I ended up doing three different seminars for the African Studies Program. Universities were calling me here and there in Europe and, and, and the UK. They wanted to hear about Oputa Panel. At a point, I literally had to shut down. But as I'm talking to you now, there's not a single Nigerian university, not a single seminary, include, that is my own constituency, that ever said to me, hey, Father Kuka, this Oputa panel that you, can we come and hear? All we are hearing were people, illiterate and ignorant people, just throwing stones. Hey, this happened. Then they now came back to say, the government did not release the report. The report was later on the internet. If you read my book, Witness to Justice, the last section, I had a, an appendix, yes. which was a letter I wrote to President Obasanjo. And that letter, I, you can read the text. I was visibly and viscerally angry. But what I'm saying, in fact, is that the, what happened, the way these things work and the way politics works, you take the promises that a state has made and then confront the state. So unless there is, and I've said it severally, Nigerians can elect an angel to come and govern Nigeria, nothing is going to happen unless we colonize the streets and have the capacity to agitate and bang on doors and say to people, we don't want this, even if it takes us days and it will take our life. But, you know, the elite are just sitting there drinking cheap brandy and watching golf and... Uh, expecting things to change. And then when they have a new, go a new president, they all rush there and then try to fix all the things. Because the elite are benefiting from this carcass of a state. But in the final analysis, that is why we have civil society activism. In 1998, I published a book titled Democracy and Civil Society. I started out writing an article. And then I suddenly discovered from my research that, look, I didn't know anything about civil society, but I started work. By the time I finished, I completed a book. And it's one of the first things I published. For me, it was my gift to Nigerians preparatory to democracy in 1999. And my conclusion in the book is that democracy without, I mean, civil society and dictatorship cancel themselves out. So if we want a vibrant democracy, civil society must be alert. But unfortunately for us, a lot of the people who were active in civil society, Olisa Agbakoba, Ayo Obe, Kayo Defayemi, you know, Festus Okoye, all of them, people decided to go to sleep because they thought that the end of military rule was the beginning of democracy. So they never got in the ring. 
And what did the military do? They just brought back their friends and their, and as governors and senators and so not None of that has changed. We are still under the leadership of the military. Our president is a former general. Just if you are measuring how far we've covered on the route of democracy. So that we are where we are is our inability to interrogate the system and our inability to realize that nothing comes for free. Everything has to be contested and fought for. So you can elect the best president. I sat down when, when Chagare of Blessed Memory was alive. I went to visit him. And I sat down with him for about two and a half hours. And he said something to me that I never forgot. He said, you know, Father Kuka, if you know what we try to do, you will not believe it. He said, but all the things we, he said, the bills I sponsored. The Senate president then, I think Joe Wyas of Blessed Memory, said the people in the National Assembly told us, if we don't buy a private plane for the Senate president, forget it. There are a lot of bills sitting in the National Assembly. They are scratching us where we are not itching. I saw something on the news trail that they are saying the Senate or the National Assembly just passed a bill criminalizing payment of ransom. And I can say that me, I have paid ransom. Come and arrest me. You are telling me you are derelict in your duty and responsibility. You are not ashamed. You are not afraid to come to me to tell me who is a victim and hundreds of other Nigerians who are victims, whose loved ones have been taken away. The state does not have the capacity to say that in, in, a, in a mood of moral revulsion, this cannot happen. Then you now have the guts to tell me you are passing a law criminalizing. Meaning, it, because what, what the Nigerian state has done is a mortal sin. That it has, that as we are talking, there are citizens of our country and they are leaving you except yourself and your family. And you consider many of these villagers who cannot even speak English, who have to live with the agony of making telephone calls and being abused every day. And some people are sitting in comfort somewhere. So this is the kind of, I, I, I'm sorry I'm getting emotional, but I'm just saying we cannot sow rotten apples and just wake up one day and think we are going to reap apples. It's not possible. But that also brings the other part of this uh, discussion where a lot of people have said, well, okay, if everything is the way it's been said to be, there's this other argument now. We're talking about the selection of leaders or, or how to do so. And you referenced it earlier when you talked about you don't give, you, you don't really care, or you shouldn't really care where a president comes from. You should be talking about his competence. So you are talking about the merit versus zoning principle. But in Nigeria, because of what you talked earlier on about the, 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 the practice of identity, the identity politics, people are not able to go as far as you've just said, which is to say, yeah, I don't care where the president comes from, uh, provided the person is competent. There are very, very big arguments over where the person is coming from, even to the extent that people say, yes, he can come from this place. We have hundreds of competent people. Our problem, if you let us be the ones who provide you with the candidates, is that we are going to look for the very best one we have and present. But then the basic argument is still that if it is restricted to people from a particular area, competence and merit is still going to be sacrificed. Look, if you don't have, you know, when people talk about recruitment, a recruitment is a function of many things. 
And by the way, when we talk about zoning, the simple language is that we are zoning corruption. It's not, we are not zoning governance. We are zoning corruption. And Nigerians have gotten to a point in which, you, you know what? We are not looking, we, Nigerians have made peace with the fact that politics is what it is. That is that it's about theft of state resources. And they expect you to come to Abuja and they will blame you for coming to Abuja and coming back with nothing. So nobody, the Senate president cannot go back to his constituency and say, you know, these are the number of bills that I have sponsored. Okay? They are in the National Assembly. They are supposed to be making laws. So the point is, when women say we want a bit of this action, everybody who wants to participate in this process in Nigeria just wants a bit of the corruption. There's no, we have no, we have no moral argument about, about, about the essence of going into power. So let our own man also, our woman also, get into this thing and participate. The processes that ought to have brought us to where we are, we went by the wrong route. That's why today we are still debating about the, our constitution. Because as a, as, a, as a turnover of what the military did, which is the center of the debate about the constitution, that they handed us a constitution, although... Arguments are, and I've, you know, if you speak to General Abdul Salam, he will tell you, some of us with memory still remember that they did, the military didn't just hand over a constitution. The military said, under Nikitobi, here, go, run around, find out from Nigerians what they want. Nigerians came back and said, we want the 1999. Whatever it is, we don't know. But do constitutions by themselves guarantee good governance? Does having a Bible mean you go to heaven? Does having the Holy Quran mean you go to heaven? We don't know. So there is, there is, there is, there is, there is a, a conflict that we have not defined what the essence of participation in government is all about. No, because I was and, going and, to say that we've had very good constitutions in the past. Well, well, it yes, was but, the operators that spoiled them. Well, so good. So let us not quarrel with the structure. We quarrel with those who have privatized the structure whose primary essence is corruption. Because, okay, here the way the, I listen to the chairman of the APC say, ah, why are you people complaining about us asking for 100 million? We have to run the party now. It's a measure of the consciousness of the Nigerian, ordinary Nigerians, that people will make this kind of a law. And there's no agitation, there's no protest, nothing. Nothing. You have a democracy, then you raise up this, this, this bulwark. If I, no matter how persuaded I am, because you have already said very clearly, only corrupt people can enter here. Never mind these this shenanigans of uh, people are shamelessly giving money under the table and they wake up and say somebody has gone to buy ticket on our behalf. This charade won't take us anywhere. But guess what? It is to say that we, we, we inherited, you know, once the military infected this process by the nature and strategy of its engagement with the state through a coup. All it meant was that processes went through the window. So you only became president in a military government, depending on your ability to keep the guns away. If somebody turned up from under the table with a gun, he became head of state. There are no qualifications. Now, if you look at the constitution of South Africa, what the South Africans did was that they started their debate. Mandela came out of prison in 1990. They started their debate for, over their constitution, and it ran for about two or three years. Now, they were able to synthesize and throw away all the corrosive elements that were capable of creating tension. 
Nigerians have been debating the constitution since, since what time? Every time we, we start the debate, we get stuck over Sharia law and its scope. Now, if we had had a Which real... Which is part of the identity thing you mentioned Yes, but, but if we had had a real conversation, the South Africa, I mean, the American constitution was written by 50, what, 55 people. But the quality of minds that wrote that constitution, with all its whatever, was such that, you know, you read it and it's literally, you can't believe it's a document that's over 200 years old. How could these people have foreseen all those kinds? Because it's about imagination. And I've also, I served as secretary of the political reform. So I have, I have a, one or two things in terms of experience and exposure about how these things are done. I love you the also produced something from that political reforms conference, which all the people who attended it are swearing by that there's no need for anybody to gather again. We well, should just go and dust up that document. No, well, again, you see, uh, the point is, the point I really was going to make is the quality of people that participate in this process. Yes, wonderful human beings. But guess what? The very fact that this system is ambushed by the fact that it is the governor who chooses those he wants to. That's what we've always that, done. Since 1975 or 76. That's what we've always done. The governor is the one who decides those he wants to send to Abuja. They are always his friends or always his relations or people that he's happy with. And they come with a political agenda. 80% of how many... Like when I, when I was researching for my PhD thesis and I went back to look at the proceedings of the 1977 Constituent Assembly. Yes. It was very interesting that when they got stuck, when Shagari and all the Muslims walked out of the, of the Constituent Assembly on grounds of this inclusion of, of, of the clause on Sharia law, the interesting thing was they set up a committee of quote-unquote wise men. And there were 25 of them, led by late Chief Simeon Adebo. I went back and tracked the political trajectory of each and every one of those people and discovered that they found a compromise, okay, to let the process go on. But what was very interesting was that 24 out of the 25 ended up in the MPN. All right? The only person who was there in the MPN at that time was Paul Unongo. But Paul Unongo joined MPN when he got a job in 1983. So what am I saying? It is that we, we send these people to Abuja, many of who don't even know what has brought them to Abuja. All right? And then at the end of the day, the platform is a platform for political transaction. That's all. The issue of what will make this country go this way or that way is the least of their concerns. So we are weaponizing processes that are, should be the result of intellectualism. For me, to write a constitution, you don't need every state to send three people. You don't need that number. The one we were involved in was 400 and something people. Not a great market of ideas. There were no new things that were said. So what I'm saying is, we must return to the scene of the crime, which is that, so far, what we've been running is a semi-feudal state, okay, that does not have the capacity to pass muster for being a democracy. Because the processes of democracy are pretty straightforward. Because like I was saying about South Africa, by the time the South Africans went in to conduct elections, they had already concluded reading their constitution. So Mandela and his people who got into the, into the, into the assembly, all they needed to do was they couldn't touch the constitution. They just had to append their signature. Because by then, all the kind of things that we are agitating about had been done Resolved. and dusted. Yeah. So the Nigerian elite does not want to discuss what the Niger Delta people are saying. 
about their conditions and about their welfare. And I had the honor of serving, you know, as a presidential uh, facilitator of the conflict between the Ogoni people and Shell. And they, it was a metaphor for the problems of the Niger Delta. And, you know, the Nigerian elite has a tendency. When a community has a problem, they think that, okay, we have, a, we have appointed one of you as a common chop. So what are you still agitating about? So for me, these things are, they are, they are, they are how will I put it? Um, a nation that does not privilege the intellect, which is what Plato said a long time ago, which is that the philosopher king, we are not saying, you are not saying that other people are not necessarily important. No. But I don't know where uneducated people have built a, a, a civilization. That's why the alternative the, a democracy by, by, by illiterate people is a mobocracy. They just want to see blood. So I'm saying, and, I'm, and if you don't privilege intellect, because by now it should be possible to say you want to be governor of Lagos State or you want to be governor of, uh, of, of, of your state, you didn't go to, 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 to University of Ibadan or you didn't go to University of Lagos. There are certain institutions that should be the hallmark for defining what a country should be able to produce. You end up, you could call them mafia, whatever it is, but they are a mafia for good. Because they have the capacity and the ability to see beyond. Because building a nation is about imagination. You imagine a reality that is not there. But then you now, like the architect who designs a building, his mere design is not a building. Now, when he finishes his design, he has an idea. He's already mentally in the house. But it depends on that why a house is collapsing in Lagos. Because the architect does his design. The man decides that he wants to use four-inch block instead of six-inch block, that he wants to do this instead of that. So for me, this is what it's all about, that the people to frame, to provide the, 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 the scaffolding for governing a nation should be people who have an idea, who have ideas. This is why people are at the university. And like I say, you cannot be doing the things that Nigeria is doing to education and hope to build a nation. No, you're just going to have a mob where the, the Nigerian political class says, we are going on campaign. So you go on campaign, you go and greet a traditional ruler, and then you talk, and he talks, and then you go. And you think you spoke. Meanwhile, these politicians are going through universities. They can't stop in a university to address the political science students. They can't, these are the people who are going to vote for them. But the Nigerian politician is afraid of ideas. He's afraid of context. And this is the hand we've been dealt. So it's not a miracle that we are just going around and around and going nowhere. But if, if this is the hand that we've been dealt, and everybody... <laughs> is complaining about that hand, they don't like it, they want to change it, they want a different hand, uh, but it seems as if all the options are blocked, uh, both by the identity politics, the ones that are not blocked by the identity politics are blocked by corruption, the ones that are not blocked by corruption are blocked by, you know, the, 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 the level of education of the mass, which should drive the process, and then from which a leader should emerge to move the society forward. It kind of gives up the impression that we're swimming against the current and maybe we should stop swimming. No. See, I tell young people who are getting married, a wedding is not a marriage. All right? A wedding is a ceremony. It's not the marriage. The marriage starts after the wedding. And of course, you know. <laughs> You're married. <laughs> you know. that all these promises of Swimming the deepest river and climbing the highest hill for her is really not, is not the real thing. It's poetic, but, but it's not the ground. No, but, okay, it, got, it swept her off her feet. You got married, that's fine. The question is not that marriage is good or bad. It is that 
she now has to have the mental capacity to remind you of the promises that you made. Because somebody, I took a class with somebody about, about women, and the guy says, I mean, he said, look, women think differently. Uh, you know the books, women are from, men yeah. are from Mars, Mars women, women are from, are from Venus. Venus. The way yeah. women think is different. And the guy was saying, women have the capacity to absorb so much information. Men talk, but the women process everything. And they will remind you, <laughs> okay, laddie, uh, this promise you made in January on January 5th, saying that we are going to go to uh, how now? You know, so, but she has to confront you with the promises you made to her. Because left for you, you still want to go back with, you know, to the boys you left behind and to continue the life. So in the same way, when you elect a leader, Nigerians think that we've elected Buhari, so he must change Nigeria for us. We've elected the next person, so it's still going to happen. And if you don't develop a robust process of engagement, we will come back to Nigeria and say, I know Buhari was not so bad. I'm only on like 50 people died in Southern Kaduna, 30 people died. Because if we if we're true to the tradition of Nigeria, is that tomorrow, I mean, yesterday is always better than today and tomorrow. So I'm saying this country will change and it can change. But all of us must roll up our sleeves. Those who have an idea about how a nation can and should be built should roll up our sleeves. And it doesn't, you know, Nigerians think that political engagement means going to contest for elections. There's a, there's a conceptual difference between office and power. You know, if you have, if, if they tell you now that uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk fell off a bicycle today, the American stock exchange will shake. Okay? If the American president falls off a bicycle, uh, something will happen, but not of the same magnitude. It's Mark Zuckerberg, he's in, he's, in, he's in power, but not in office. Elon Musk is in power, but not in office. So there is a difference. The problem with our situation is that too many intellectuals don't want to distance themselves from the process because people are talking either because they want appointment or as soon as the opportunity comes, they want to jump in. You know, people must appreciate their capacity for who they are. I mean, so you look at somebody like Wale Shoenka, you ask yourself, you know, why is this guy still, he's not the richest Nigerian, he's not pursuing a, a, a career that will make him rich. But all these children have become governors, have become ministers. Why has Wolesha Inka not become a minister in Nigeria? I think he understands that his influence surpasses temporal yeah. office. office. Because he's already wielding power by other means. And in a more serious country, there are certain people, you know, government, I, I laugh when I see the way governors and ministers and, 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 and presidents conduct themselves. People want to bring uh, ceremonial figureheads who will come and give them. They're sitting, you know, elsewhere. In the UK, in the US, you know yourself that at a particular level, there are particular journalists of such influence, okay, that the president should very quietly, whether he knows them or doesn't know them, somebody should tell him, have breakfast with Ladi. Because if America is going to bomb Afghanistan or bomb, guess what? There will be certain people from the New York Times, Washington Post, who already have an idea about what is happening. If a country does not harvest a lot of this, because serious presidency is about, I remember I was reading something about Abraham Lincoln. There's a man called Tadeus Law, and we're talking 19th century stuff, I mean 20th century stuff. And uh, no, 19th, 20th century stuff. This man has never been to school. He just taught himself science. 
and he came up with the idea of the balloon as a listening post during the you know during the war and he said i can demonstrate and people were this guy you didn't go to school what are you talking about what can you demonstrate? but guess what when he did a demonstration lincoln abraham lincoln invited him to the white house and he stayed the night in the white house I want to hear what you're talking about. The generals were saying, this guy, you're not a soldier, this guy is spoiling our guard. This is not the kind of... At the end of the day, this guy designed a balloon, started using the balloon until the balloons themselves became part effective tools for fighting and ending the war. What am I saying? A president, a governor, must have the capacity to look out for people with certain intellectual capacity. People to say, you are holding an office, you don't know everything. And a president, you must have a listening device. No matter what position you are holding, you must have a listening device that tells you things that ordinarily, because your press singers are looking for work and they are looking for food. They're not interested. They're going to shut out whatever can be shut out. But you have to have the sophistication. Know that you can pick up your phone. I cannot end this discussion without raising the issue of religion. And uh, that is because Nigerians are said to be extremely religious people. Um, all across, uh, both orthodox and unorthodox religion. Uh, there's hardly any Nigerian you come across who doesn't believe in spirituality, the higher purpose and all of that. And, uh, but then, of course, the argument is different when you say how that translates into their behavior and uh, the way they, they act in interaction with others. But I raise it because that then gives a lot of power to religious leaders people who lead groups uh, uh, in terms of faith. And because often people say that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, people say that religion is not based on logic or reasoning. It's a faith matter and that sometimes, therefore, those who are in the leadership of those uh, uh, things can actually use that to overcome what would have been challenges or confrontations to positions they have held, which people might have had questions about, if not for the fact that it's about faith, it's not about reasoning. In Nigeria, it is said that many of our religious leaders too have become part of the problem, uh, and that in fact they've also joined groups. Uh, some of those you described earlier as, you know, some people calling them mafia, to push particular interests and so on, and that therefore they have also fanned the embers of community discord pitching one particular group of religious beliefs against the other, which on closer examination, there is really no difference. You know, my PhD thesis was on religion, politics, and power in northern Nigeria. I'm not an expert, but I understand the issues. And uh, we can talk about this is a subject for another conversation. What we have as religion in Nigeria, we are having is convoluted variant, um, which is reacting to a complete collapse of the architecture of governance. And this kind of superfluous expression of religion and religiosity thrives only in this kind of an environment. Okay, you cannot plant rice where there's no water and expect it to grow. So this environment is ripe for this kind of superfluous religiosity. If, so that's why you see all the, if you go to many of the Pentecostal churches outside Nigeria, quite a lot of them are the same Nigerians who are, who are and the problems are over visa, over immigration status, over... We are looking for a God, 
okay, to do X, Y, Z for us. Very few of these people are, of us are talking about a God to serve. The big elephant in the room for us in Nigeria is Islam and Christianity. And if you come from a Christian tradition, where the issues of the relationship between church and state is pretty well defined. It's not the same with Islam, especially Islam in northern Nigeria, where you have the most significant population. The very fact that Christianity has very, very limited, Islam has been in, Islam was in Nigeria for about six, seven hundred years before Christianity came. So the very fact that, uh, the other day, Lami Dosadusi, uh, former Emir, whether it's former Emir of Kano or Emir, 14th Emir of Kano. Uh, but he said that, I was on a Zoom conference with him and he said something very striking. He said that they counted in Kano and there were about 950 uh, main mosques in Kano. And they counted the churches and there were 800 churches. About 800 churches in Kano. So there is a sense in which there is a certain kind of nervousness. We've been in this room for too long, so how are you guys encroaching to our space? The way Islam sees engagement of religion and the state is completely different. It is that you can use the apparatus of state to build a religion. And we see it when we see governors building mosques here and there. Of course, Christians are now building churches here and there. But the point is that Northern Islam has come with a slightly different template with Islam in the Southwest. Northern Islam came or took a new identity and a greater sense of urgency when it created a state between 1804 and 1903. The colonial administration didn't help matters because when Christianity appeared in northern Nigeria, the colonial administration said, no, we don't want you to disturb Islam so that won't create problems. So a mentality has grown today that Christians can be seen in, other, in these places, but don't raise your voice. So the whole debate about where can I worship? There are many universities today in northern Nigeria where Christians don't have a place of worship. It may be the same in, the south, in, the, in southern Nigeria where Muslims don't have a place of worship. Whose business is that? If you go to Kano, for example, it's there that if you want to get a, a place to build a church, the papers will tell you, even if you get a land, they tell you very clearly, make sure you don't build a brothel. Don't, you don't build a church. So a church is sitting side by side with a brothel. I'm saying that the inability of the Nigerian political class to resolve this distortion, which is that it is not the business of the state to build up religion. So when people say that we have, okay, we have Nairek, and Nairek is 25 Christians and 25 Muslims, but a lot of the people are largely traditional rulers. Now, a traditional ruler is not a religious leader. Because for me to become a bishop and to become a priest, I had to go through years of training before I ended up. Now, I am bishop of Sokoto. I didn't take myself to Sokoto. The Holy Father appointed me as bishop of Sokoto. So if I have a problem with the governor or the president of Nigeria today, all they can do is take me to court. But a traditional ruler does not have the same latitude because he's appointed by the governor. And a governor will choose a banker or choose a lawyer or choose anybody, 
of his choice and give you this position. So the, the result is that we are having this lack of clarity as to where does religion start and where does the state stop. Ordinarily, in pure political science definition, this is what, again, you get from the history of, of America and other places. If, political, the, if the constitution does not define all of this, but to show how redundant the Nigerian constitution is, section 10 talks about the fact that Nigeria state shall not adopt any religion as a, stop, as a state religion. So that is it for, 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 from one point of view, that we have completely different ideas. There are videos now that are going around, they've been going around about what happened in the 2014, 2015 elections, the 2019 elections. The videos are now coming out of people who are saying, we can, our religion does not allow us to vote for somebody who is not of our religion. You can hear that in Christianity and Islam, the suspicion has become so deep. And that is why in my Easter message, one of the things I said was, Christians and Muslims in Nigeria, if you're serious, you've got your job cut out for you. Because guess what? People are deciding now to become atheists. So forget up. Don't worry about whether Christians are your problem or Muslims are your problem. It is that from your churches and your mosques, people have decided we, we are not doing again. Because what we are seeing is not... Now, the, a young man who has been sentenced to, to prison in Kano on the ground that he has decided to become an atheist, does the state have that right? In the same state where a constitution... The supreme document of the country says that you are free to adopt a religion, you are free to change your religion, you are free to associate, you are free to... So in many cases, you find that the state is pandering around religion, and it ought not to be so. But the second point arising from what you're saying is that people have become religious precisely because religion has become an identity marker. Okay? If you go to the villa when a Christian is in power, at the time that Robert Sanjo was president, there were more Yoruba people speaking Yoruba around, around the place. And you, if you saw the way people changed their dress code to get attention, when Jonathan was president, people asked, you go and buy a bowler hat. The only way you can get into and get, get a bit of attention. Now you have to do, if you go to the other side, where, where the vice president is, you have to be, if you are not redeemed or you are not a Pentecostal, I know people who are Catholics, okay? who, as long as a president is in power, they will suspend going to the Catholic Church because they want to worship with the president. It is a lucrative engagement. So what we are dealing with is religion as a commodity of transaction. If blood remains the basis for negotiation, okay, then we are living a feudal state, not a democracy. If social class, my father is a chief, my, my father is a general, or my father is this, if that is the basis of your getting into power, then you are only a plutocracy. And it's people who have the money will govern. If you say that you can be president of Nigeria based on the size of your rosary, or the size of the Quran, or the size of the Bible, then you are only a theocracy. We opted for a democracy. We could have chosen any of this, but now Nigeria is so convoluted. We are feudalists, we are nepotists, so people believe that to give your brother, your son, your nephew a job is taken for granted. It's, that, that's what people expect to do. And when you go back to the village, nobody's, people are concerned with how many jobs have you gotten. So now we are living, people like me, I'm just sitting and looking. People with, in power are sending trucks to their villages to go and collect people for employment in Abuja. The young people have never come to Abuja. I am getting information from young people that 
then you'll just be sitting down, even in jobs that require uniforms. You see all kinds of people will appear in uniform. Some of them can hardly read or write, but they've been assigned positions. People are manufacturing and distributing jobs. Now, young, I know young people who are falling victim of this because people can tell you, you want to go to the central bank to cost you 500 million, I mean 500,000. You want to get a job in uh, FIRS to cost you 1 million. You want to get, whether it's true or false, I don't know, but these are the stories that you hear. So, such a state makes every citizen an orphan. So, this is where we are. How we negotiate this bend, because all of this is evidence of the tension and the crisis that we have. That's why, why will anybody not want to be president of Nigeria? There is no country in the world, maybe a few African countries, where you can be president and be as, I don't want to use the word irresponsible, but irresponsibly in managing power, the way Nigeria gives you the privilege. Because you can decide what you want to do. You can call your mistress, call your girlfriend, call your nephew, call, write a check for a million dollars, not a problem. So people are falling back on God. It is not a God that they are really and truly worshipping. It's a God that they are conscripting to come and do their will. So I want a job. God, help me get this job. Okay? We are not saying our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. No. God, come down and help to do my will. We are not saying, God, I want to do your will. Because the Nigerian state does not even allow you that latitude. Because, like I said, I'm having a young boy. Who, I don't know what to do with him. This boy designed a drone. The other day, a young boy came to my office. He designed something which he says is um, it's a generator that doesn't require fuel. Yeah. So he tested him. He showed me. I said, because he told me he was doing something. I said, after some time, was it last week? He came, to, he came for mass. So I said, oh, God, this is how fun. I said, Bishop, I know ground no level again. I can't find the money to complete. How much is the money? 120000 What I need to finish. I said, okay, come, let's talk. We finish talking. Hopefully, he can finish the project. But this is a country where, so, so you finish, so what? Is there anybody in the Ministry of, of Science and Technology or somewhere else ready? Is there a place where you can say, there is an institution incubating the intelligence and the talent of young people and ready to deploy them to other places. This place is a, is a, is a, is a, is a talent killer. It is. And you cannot treat young people like this and think you have a future. It's not possible. So the contestation, the gyration, the, the, the volatility will persist. We may conduct elections. We'll go through the motions. But we're not expecting because the people that have the mental capacity, because I mean, this is the only country where, ask yourself, what are the qualifications that people bring to the table? Papers are the last thing. So people are coming, just like you rightly say, we want to be president because it's our right, it's our turn. But it's not our turn to do good. It's our turn to make up for the marginalization of our people. So when you hear me, and the things I've said against this president are two, and I've stood by them. I have a lot of respect for him. But he has been a disaster in the area of managing diversity and the blatant nepotism. It's not accepted. It's, more, it's morally reprehensible. And I only stand to be corrected. It's not a question of are the things I'm saying true or not true. Because I'm insisting that whoever becomes president of Nigeria today, tomorrow, next tomorrow, they will hear from me if they are not doing the right thing. So it's got nothing personal because I'm saying I have seen where people have managed diversity well. I have seen where, why is it that now, after France won the World Cup, 
Is there any football team now in the, in the world that you don't see black people? Even the World Cup, Germany had to put in a black man at the last, uh, last minute. So even with the racism, okay? Ah, who is talking about Oibo person? Look at, uh, you know, you should have congratulated because I'm an Arsenal supporter. Okay, you should have congratulated. I know you are jealous. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. But the young man who scored the goal yesterday, is it Daniel? What? Is anybody thinking of his skin color? For one moment, you lose sense of color. They may be racist. But what are the results? So if we do not have, aspire to create a country where we are blind to the sins of the flesh, and the sins of the flesh are what produce ethnicity, this toxicity that you define somebody standing before you not as a child of God, but you define somebody not because of his capacity, but you give him a front seat because you speak the same language, because he's from your town, because you worship in the same mosque or the same church. At that point, we're not serving God. So for me, these are the issues, not, not uh, nothing personal. Bishop Kuka, um, do you fear at any point for your safety? Because there are people who will go beyond having arguments with you. Um, there are those who go beyond issuing reportals, as we have seen uh, with, a, with a few cases in Nigeria. Do you sometimes look at yourself or do close relatives of yours speak to you and say, Bishop, we still need you around. Look, you know, I, look, when people talk about fear, I ask myself, so fear of what? Really, I mean truly, fear of what? Death. The only thing I'm afraid of is to break the law. That's what I'm afraid of, and I live with it every day. And the only thing that can give me a sense of fear is that I've broken the law. Short of breaking the law, I will fear a human being or fear what? I've not abused anybody. All, even my worst critics will concede that I have never insulted anybody. Um, but what is even more important to me, you know, and it's for me a sense of validation. Right? So when people talk to me about fear, I don't know what they're talking about because for me, the only fear I have is a fear that this country might go under. And it's a fear that is genuine but we must do everything humanly possible to avert what is clearly a looming disaster. Because we can do better than this. And I know that the percentage of those who want this country to sink, probably less than 5% or 3%. So nine, over 90% of ordinary Nigerians just want to be left to do. They don't, they're not, I, I think we have oversubscribed in terms of what government has the capacity to do. Because Beyond electing a man from your village, after the election, you won't see him again. So, and there is no, 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 nothing to suggest that the people from the president's town are necessarily benefiting more than other people, except of recent, where some people have on their own carried projects to Daora. And I'm not sure that president himself necessarily asked them to do that. Uh -huh. But short of that, we're still struggling to get to Mina. Mina has given us two former heads of state. If you go to Jonathan's hometown. It's not, it's not as if you can drive with your eyes closed. Okay, if you go to, I've been to Shagari, where President Shagari came from. 
I have not been to Obasanjo's hometown, but if when I met Obasanjo first time he was talking to me, he said to me, I, I swear I'm sure your village is better than my own. But things may have changed now. But I'm just saying that let's look for the, the government to create a space that all of us can flower in. Because government can never employ everybody. 99% of ordinary young Nigerians just want electricity. We want to do their jobs. Extraordinarily brilliant young people just want to be left alone to do their, what, what God has given them talent for. Shokuka, so much said, so much food for thought. But again, I must thank you and wish you the very best. As well, we, as we say in Nigeria, the only thing we can pray for is hope, Uzodima. <laughs> uh, you know what that means? I do. I do. So, Which is why my laughter is. It's the name of somebody, but it simply means in Igbo. We hope the road is good. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Bishop Kuka, thank you so very much. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you very much for having me. That's our program today. We would, of course, like to hear from you on the conversation. Our social media handles are right there on your screen. You can also listen to this and previous episodes of the program via our podcast. Please visit our website, channelstv.com forward slash podcast to get started. I am Ladi Akiri Duluali. Goodbye.